Well, good morning. Uh, glad you're joining me uh, today. Sorry for the hour delay, but we just had some uh, technical things that we needed to take care of um, this morning. So, uh, But we're set up and we are ready to go for our Bible study this morning. I sure am glad that you're uh, joining me this morning or whenever you may be watching this. Um, we were just talking about that very fact that the, one of the great things about doing these Bible studies this way is that we can uh, record them. You can live stream and watch them when I'm doing them and even interact with me if you want. You can do the uh, live chat or you can text me. I keep my phone with me as well. Uh, or uh, if you want, and I know some others do this, you can uh, watch this later uh, with family or with others and uh, be able to, to uh, do the Bible study at a different time. So there's a lot of advantages to this, but actually uh, in my notes I put in here this morning that, again, I was going to say an appreciation for being able to do it this way, but also I, I sure do miss the interaction I get uh, with, with Bible study as well. Uh, one of the things that I really enjoy about being able to teach uh, is having people there that will ask questions. It helps me to uh, think through things better. It helps me to, to learn from you and about you uh, when we can do that together. So I am looking forward to when we can uh, gather together as well. And we're going to try to keep uh, see how we keep all this uh, uh, technology going together, whatever that might look like as we slowly regather. We had an in-person worship service last Sunday. That went great. It was good to see some people there. We still did the uh, live stream. And so I know quite a few people watched that as well. So uh, this is um, some different times and, and some, a lot of good things are going to come out of these times. Times. But uh, anyway, I just wanted to start with that, but glad you're here with me this morning uh, and glad you're able to watch this and pray you'll get uh, some good things out of this. Let me open up our time together with a word of prayer. Father, I come before you right now, and I do want to thank you for your, your love and your watch care over us. I thank you that we're able to get together and uh, study your word together. Thank you for your Bible as we focus on your Bible together uh, during these uh, sessions. Uh, we're looking at the uh, uh, this wonderful text that you've given to us, written over thousands of years by many different men uh, that uh, you inspired to write, you directed the writing of each one of these, and yet there's such a variety of uh, of literature that you've given to us. And as we understand how to uh, read and, and understand it better, then we will be better uh, and able to know you better so that we can lead others into a deeper relationship with you as well. So thank you for that, and I pray that you will uh, just bless this time, uh, help this information to be uh, encouraging, help it to be beneficial. I pray that it will make a difference in your kingdom's work. It's in Christ's most holy name that we pray. Amen. Uh, well, this morning, if you've been following along with these Bible studies, we've been uh, working our way through uh, using quite a bit of material from Tremper Longwin's book, Reading the Bible with Heart and Mind. Uh, I have also uh, pulled from some other sources. Uh, this morning's Bible study is going to be primarily uh, from, from his book and, and the material he, he's given to us. But we make a shift. We've been doing primarily Old Testament. Uh, there's a lot of, there is some overlap in uh, different kinds of literature that we've looked at, uh, and it all works together. But we're making a shift today from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And uh, I came across a quote uh, by somebody, this was quite a while ago, don't know who he was, just something I pulled off the internet. I think I was studying uh, for something else and came across uh, this quote that I thought was interesting and actually fits in this because when you look at that, that 
change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Uh, I've even heard people say things like, well, the God of the Old Testament was a God of wrath uh, and a God of vengeance, whereas the God of the New Testament is a God of love uh, and grace. Uh, it's the same God throughout. And so when we look at Scripture, there's not a... a, a Contrast is not that God all of a sudden has changed or that we have a new a new God or a different God. It's the same God throughout, and, and when you see that continuity, it makes all the difference in the world. But that's not what all people believe. Um, uh, again, uh, this is just uh, from the Internet. Don't know who this is. Uh, and I, let me just read you this quote because uh, here's somebody that misses the point while he thinks he's making a good point. Uh, he says here, New Testament or Old Testament? New Testament is Christian, and Old Testament is Jewish. Massive difference. Jesus was the game changer. Christianity started based on the teachings of Christ and the New Testament. Nowhere did he mention gay as a sin or even as an abomination. He said, celebrate diversity and love one another. If you continue to state the Old Testament as part of your Christianity values, you are mixing your religions. I find most people are rather dumb about the Bible and that it is really two books and two religions. Now, I was doing a uh, study there on um, homosexuality and how we address that as, as believers and came across that quote. In, what I want to look at here is, is not his issues on homosexuality, but really on the whole concept of uh, the fact that he's believing that there's two different Bibles here, or two different religions are being taught, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. But even the New Testament doesn't bear that out because listen to a couple uh, quotes from uh, the, the New Testament. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, Paul writes this to, to Timothy. He says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Uh, all Scripture. Well, now, what's Paul talking about there? He is, of course, in the middle of writing some of the New Testament uh, and bringing that together. Uh, and so when he says all Scripture, he is referring primarily to the Old Testament Scriptures that the, the Jewish people had. Uh, now, there wasn't an awareness, uh, even in Paul's day, uh, of some of what they were writing. Now, that was Scripture as well, but he is combining the two together, and he says all of this is useful uh, for teaching for correcting, for rebuking, for training, uh, all those things that, that we look at in Scripture. So not just the New Testament, but New Testament and Old Testament working together. Uh, and if Paul's words uh, aren't enough, uh, Christ's words himself, Matthew chapter 5 during the, in the Sermon on the Mount, verses 17 through 19, he says, "'Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets.'" I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, again, I don't want to get into a long dissertation on uh, on, on this passage and, and all these things they're saying here, but you do see here that, Paul, that uh, Christ himself is saying that it is the law and the prophets, again, the Old Testament scriptures. And again, Christ came and clarified and actually uh, broadened uh, the 
what was being said there when you read the Sermon on the Mount, you see that uh, some said, well, you know, just don't kill. Uh, Jesus says, well, even if you've been angry, you, you're guilty of that sin. So he's broadened that command wider. And so he is saying that nothing is going to change as far as what God has commanded uh, until everything has been fulfilled. Now, there's Christ gives a better understanding and a maybe a newer understanding of what was being taught in the Old Testament, but it's not a new uh, religion that he's creating. It is the fulfillment of what God has done from the beginning. So that may be better for a discussion at a later time, but I did feel like at the start of this, since we're making that transition from Old Testament to New Testament, it'd be good to make that clarification that both Testaments are from God. Both Testaments are vital to our faith and our uh, beliefs uh, in knowing God and serving God and, and following after him. Today, our primary focus as we begin the New Testament is going to be the Gospels and Acts. So we're going to look at uh, those. And when you come to uh, the New Testament, you start with the four Gospels. And that may be the very uh, first question is, you know, why four Gospels? Uh, you know, probably all of us may have a favorite of the of the Gospels. All of God's Word is uh, good uh, and and needed, but maybe where we are and who we are, we have we have favorites. And I kind of waffle between some. I'm actually preaching through uh, Matthew right now on Sunday mornings, but um, really, if if I was asked which would might be my favorite uh, Gospels, it would either be Luke or Mark. Uh, I'm sorry, Luke or John uh, would be one of those two, and we'll talk about those in a moment. But we have four. Gospels, and I think it was uh, Michael Jr., the comedian, uh, that actually made the statement. You know, he was he was questioning why are there, why are there four Gospels, and when he was a young believer, uh, one of the commitments he made was reading through uh, all of Scripture from Genesis all the way through Revelation. And when he came to the Gospels, he was reading through them, and he said, "Why do they keep killing this guy over and over and over again?" You know, because every Gospel has part of Christ, um, the crucifixion of Christ, the death of Christ, and he, and he couldn't figure out. Why they have to do this four different times? Well, it's not four different times. It's uh, the, the same story, but told from different perspectives. And so as we read the Gospels and Acts, and we put Acts together because Luke uh, wrote both uh, Luke and the, the book of Acts. And so some people will actually combine that into Luke-Acts uh, into one chapter, you know, basically one volume, two volumes uh, th that you bring together. But as we study through these Gospels, I think that is something we need to ask ourselves and helps us to understand uh, the reading of the Gospels. They are historical books. They are events uh, that took place, uh, certain people, certain places, certain times. We, we read those things. We can go back and uh, walk those places. I still hope someday to, to personally be able to go and uh, go to the Holy Land and, and be able to walk some of those places where Jesus walked, see some of the sites that... Uh, that he saw, be able to put my eyes on those things. Uh, that would be a wonderful um, experience to be able to do that. But whether I physically get there or not, uh, it's still a reality that we know that these places exist. So there's historical content in these stories and historical places uh, that, that actually took place. But as we look at the Gospels, there's there, there are four. And so we do need to ask ourselves, why four? Why did God inspire four different writers to give us four different accounts of his life. 
Uh, and really what it boils down to is it's looking at Christ's life from different perspectives because it's written to different audiences at different times to help them see the full picture of who Jesus Christ is. And we need to understand those things because the Gospels do not contradict themselves. They actually complement each other and complete each other. Um, but because of the audience that was being written to, because of the, the time and the circumstances, uh, the writers were focusing sometimes on different aspects of Christ's life. And so as we read the Gospels, sometimes we can get ourselves into trouble when we're trying to match things up too much because the Gospel writers weren't so concerned about uh, chronology, having a, a, an exact timeline of everything happening all the time, uh, but they were concerned about sharing the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Here's a quote from uh, Tremper Longman uh, as he uh, talks about uh, uh, the Gospels. He says, Each Gospel story has a divinely inspired slant on the life of Jesus and its meaning for us as disciples. And because each tells the story to a different, original audience, we learn something new in each one. But the Gospels do more than tell us about Jesus' life. They are manuals of discipleship. They give us a clear picture of Jesus' actions and teachings so that we may follow in his steps. Um, we as believers are called to be like Christ, little Christ. Now, we're never going to be Christ. We're never going to live a perfect, sinless life. Our life will never match up to his, but Christ does call us to follow after him. Paul at one point in uh, 1 Corinthians, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And so passing that down and continuing that legacy of, of following Christ and being obedient to him. So uh, when we look at the Gospels, it's helping us to... Um, understand that and see what it looks like to be a, a Christ follower. And so just very quickly here this morning, I'm not going to take a long time on, on any one of these, and I really want to kind of just give you a, a broader uh, picture of what each of these Gospels is focusing on. And, uh, and again, in Tremper Longman's book, he uses Irenaeus, Irenaeus is one of the early church fathers, uh, his view on the four Gospels. And here was a, um, a quote where what he used from Ezekiel chapter 1, uh, verse 10. He says, as for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had the face, the four had a face of a lion on the right side, the four had the face of an ox on the left side, and the four had the face of an eagle. Uh, and so he uses that imagery of uh, ox, lion, eagle, and man uh, to reference uh, the four different gospels. So if that's helpful for you, hopefully it'll be helpful uh, to, to understand a little bit better. So just real quickly, going through the gospels as they are uh, given to us in in our Bibles, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's not necessarily the order they were written in, uh, but in that order, uh, we look at first at, at Matthew, and he, uh, Irenaeus, uh, referred to him as, as the ox. And what we have at the very beginning of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So, Matthew is uh, really focused on trying to help people understand Jesus as Messiah. He as our uh, as Christ is the high priest, and also as our sacrifice. Uh, when we look at Matthew's gospel, and again, I'm preaching through Matthew uh, Sunday morning. Got a few more weeks uh, in in Matthew's gospel together. Uh, we see a lot in Matthew 
him writing to a, a primarily a, a, a Jewish audience. And so we find quite often in Matthew's gospel references back to Old Testament prophecies that Christ was ultimately fulfilling. Uh, that Christ uh, came about. You see that in the birth narratives, and then you see it uh, throughout uh, the uh, the gospel, how Matthew continually refers back to Old Testament prophecies that are being fulfilled. Now, that happens in the other gospels to a degree as well, but more so uh, in, uh, in Matthew's gospel. Uh, I just saw I got a text from... Uh, Johnny, and, and he actually says, I like Luke because he was a, a non-Jew and a doctor who followed Christ and uh, who wrote primarily to Gentiles, uh, which includes me. So, and, and that's true. And we'll get to Luke here in just a second as we talk about him and, and how, that, how he addresses that. So Matthew's audience was primarily going to be a, a, a Jewish audience. So they would have understood the Old Testament to some degree, uh, the uh, references to the prophets and all that, whereas a Gentile audience wouldn't uh, understand that quite as as much uh, as the others. And so we see in Matthew's gospel, again, Christ being presented as this high priest coming in, fulfilling what is needed to be done in the sacrificial system. Of course, the, the letter to uh, the Hebrews, which we'll get to in uh, a week or so, uh, when we look at that, we see uh, that Christ is referred to as the great high priest, taking that place and fulfilling that role, not only as high priest, but also as the great sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice uh, for, our, for our sins. And so uh, when you read Matthew's gospel, you got to understand that, that there's going to be a lot of references to Old Testament prophecies. You're going to have to realize that uh, some of the things that uh, Matthew's writing is helping the Jewish people to understand what it means to believe and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Um, it looks different for them than it does for us. So Matthew is uh, uh, referred to as the uh, uh, as as the ox that 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 sacrifice. Irenaeus refers to Mark, the next gospel in our list, um, as the the lion. In Mark chapter one, uh, verse one, it just says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and then Mark just jumps right into uh, the. Um, the ministry of, of Jesus. We have no birth narrative in there. Um, we don't see anything about where he was born, how he was born, any of those circumstances we find are when we go to Christmas and we talk about the nativity, we're always in Matthew and Luke because both of them have birth narratives uh, about Christ, whereas Mark and Luke do not. And so when we get into Mark's gospel, uh, he's just, he, he hits the ground running. Okay, he's 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 a hard charger, and and he's talking about uh, uh, all that's going to uh, all the things that Christ is going to do, and the reference to the the lion there. The reason Irenaeus referred to him as a lion is because of the princely work of Christ. Uh, he came to be the the Prince of Peace, Old Testament reference, but came to be the Prince of Peace, uh, and he is Mark is writing primarily to a Christian audience. Now, again, a Jewish audience as well, uh, but a Jewish Christian audience, uh, Mark being John Mark. Um, and um, uh, the cousin of, of, of Barnabas probably getting a lot of his information from Peter and that relationship that, uh, that, that they had as he wrote uh, his gospel. But one of the interesting things about Mark's gospel, it is the shortest. It's only 16 chapters. Uh, and it is very, very fast-paced. We did a Sunday school lesson a couple weeks ago in Gospel Project, uh, Brett and I did, and I made reference there to you'll find in Mark's gospel the words and 
and immediately quite often uh, used because he's getting the story going. He's, he's, he's wanting things to be told, and, and he's in a hurry to, to get the, uh, the information out there. Uh, again, writing primarily to a Christian audience, he assumes things that people are going to know and believe, and he's trying to encourage them in their faith and in their walk uh, with Christ. And so, again, being a Jew, he is uh, con- continuing the Old Testament story and helping them to, to see that uh, what's going on there. And one of the unique things about Mark's gospel is we see more so, we see it in all, but more so in Mark's gospel, this unfolding story uh, that the disciples are slow to learn, uh, they are slow to see, uh, and even some of the believers don't always quite get it right at first. Uh, and so there's this unfolding uh, of the story for people to see uh, Christ coming into who he is. Um, again, hope encouraging uh, believers in, in their own uh, journey. Uh, also, we see in Mark, again, that glory comes through suffering. Uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 45 tells us, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So that whole idea of Christ's servanthood and willingness to ransom and sacrifice himself. Again, we see these in the other Gospels, uh, but Mark, most likely the very first Gospel written, and one of the sources for both Matthew and Luke, uh, is the first one to reveal these things and uh, really emphasize those aspects of who Christ is and what he's going to do. So Matthew being written to... uh, pretty much a Jewish audience, understanding a lot of the Old Testament stories uh, and uh, references. Mark writing to a Christian audience, possibly from Rome, um, but writing to those that are believing in Christ, trying to encourage them in their faith, being one of the first gospels, giving them something to uh, help them to continue in their faith. And then you come to Luke's gospel, or Luke and Acts together, if you we put those two together. Uh, Irenaeus uh, said that uh, this was the face of the man, the, the reference to man uh, in that Ezekiel passage. And what we find, how we find Luke's gospel starting is just simply this. Uh, it says, "...inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who have from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certain." concerning these things you have been taught. So here in Luke's opening verses, uh, we see he's already referencing that others have written accounts of uh, Christ, uh, his life, and all that he did. So there's a recognition that there's already stories out there. Uh, the, these, the gospel stories are already being written out there, but uh, Luke is writing to Theophilus uh, to help him to understand uh, better uh who Christ is and to be able to follow him. Uh, Luke's gospel is written from from very much more a a Gentile perspective um, and being the only um, uh, non-directly related, John Mark was related through Peter, uh, non-directly related gospel writer to uh, to an apostle, uh, but having followed, of course, with uh, along with with Paul in, in his journeys, he's writing to the outsiders. Uh, He's writing a a gospel that will help people understand that God brings salvation to everybody, 
not just to the Jewish people as, as some thought. Uh, and you don't have to be Jewish first and then Christian second. Uh, you can come straight to Christ. And so his audience, again, is more of a Gentile audience. It's an audience of uh, outsiders and, and, and outcasts. Uh, Luke himself says he's tried to make an, make an orderly account of the events of Christ's life so that Theophilus can get a good picture of, of, what's, uh, of who Christ is and, and what he came to do. And so one of the things you'll notice oftentimes in, in Luke's gospel is that he is writing more so to those that uh, have been cast aside and cast out by society. Uh, we have in the, the opening um, verses, our opening chapters, that uh, the angels come and proclaim the birth of Christ to those shepherds uh, on the hillside. And the shepherds were the ones that were somewhat outcast in the Jewish society because they couldn't go to worship, because they were unclean in many ways. And yet we see Luke emphasizing the fact that these are some of the very first ones to hear uh, of this message. And so you see that about the, the tax collectors, the, the sinners, even more so in Luke's gospel than, than the others, uh, as well as to the outcast even in the Jewish um, world and some and even the women uh, that that we see there that were not looked hi, as highly upon so Luke writes to to those um, those kinds of individuals and, and you have that perspective when you're looking at Luke uh, pretty much an adventure story uh, is one of the things Tramper Longman says and it's a, a quest on how to overcome the obstacles in your life that that you're facing so uh, finding that journey. And then we come to the, to the last of the Gospels, John's Gospel, and it is uh, different from all the others uh, in, in its setup and, and how it's put together. Uh, Irenaeus uh, refers to this, uh, to John, as the eagle. Uh, he's soaring and he's flying. Uh, we know that John's Gospel was written later, much later than, than the other three Gospels, uh, didn't rely on it. It looks a lot different than uh, what um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke look like, didn't didn't have very many of the same stories or anything that, that they have. We find here in John's gospel, his opening words are simply this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John is writing to an audience, um, a, a very secular audience, uh, and probably more of a Greek-minded audience of who Christ is, that he is the word, uh, that he has come in flesh, and he has come to speak truth into the world. You'll see several themes uh, throughout, uh, threads that run throughout John's gospel, that idea of, of truth and, and where truth comes from, who has the truth, uh, light, uh, you'll see uh, how, how coming into the light and understanding the light and that revelation. These were things that Jewish thinkers uh, were were focused on um, more that uh, the, more of the mind than the than the heart. Uh, you see more of the heart in the other three gospels, the emotions. Whereas in John's gospel, you see more of the mind and how God is uh, impacting that and seeing these threads and these themes uh, throughout John's gospel. So he he even claims he doesn't claim that he's writing an orderly account. He's writing so that people can come and know that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that you'll have the information you need to believe in him and trust in him as Lord and Savior. So when you read John's gospel, it does look a lot different and sound a lot different uh, because he's writing to an audience that is um, 
uh, agnostic type audience that is trying to deal and struggle with uh, the, the the thoughts and how can a rational mind you know come to accept uh, who who Christ is and so you see a lot of that dialogue in in John's gospel again there's much more we could say about each one of these don't have time today to to get into all that but hopefully this will give you at least a uh, whet your appetite a little bit to think through when I'm reading these gospels uh, who is it being written to why was it written when was it written uh, and so so how does that help me understand how I can read this and, and um, make sense of some of these stories, especially when you've read one thing in Matthew's gospel and it sounds a little different, it looks a little different in Luke's gospel, and it's not even in John's gospel, and John includes some stuff that these others don't include. Why is that? Well, that's why, because of the audiences they were trying to, to write to. So as we think about this, uh, let me just end up this, this morning's um, study with this, and how do we read the Gospels for spiritual growth? We, we see that they're written from different perspectives, and that helps us to understand how to read them and how to look at them. Uh, but what are some just practical things, some principles of, of reading the Gospels that will help us uh, in understanding how to best um, read them uh, to get the most out of them. Well, the first thing is, is remember some of those principles for reading biblical history. Well, we looked at in the Old Testament uh, several weeks ago now. Uh, the biblical history, it's first and foremost, it's intended to inform us reliably about past events. It's one of the great things about scripture is we can go back to the Places now we don't have everything from every event, uh, but we do. We can go back and say there was, there is a city called Jerusalem. It's still there today, and we can see some of those things they uh, that they talk about and write about. We their archaeologists are constantly finding uh, these uh, artifacts that uh, show the validity and the reliability of these places and people, not just the biblical. Uh, people that we look at, but people that are mentioned in Scripture um, and, and rulers and those kinds of things. So it is intended to inform us reliably about past events. Uh, but also they are writing history to persuade, uh, to make a point, to show who God is. So we don't have everything. We don't, we don't have every detail of every person's life. Uh, you know, I, I enjoy reading autobiographies or listening to autobiographies mostly. I'm listening to one on Winston Churchill right now, and it's uh, 50 hours of um, this book of writing about his life and all the things that went on. So they go into great detail about uh, who he is and, and what he did and, and what he experienced. Well, the biblical writers weren't trying to give you every single detail of every single event, but they gave you accurate information about people in order to help you understand how God was working in their lives and through their lives in order to accomplish his good and perfect will. So uh, they're writing to persuade. Uh, they're also looking for examples that can teach us things. Uh, how these early church you know, fathers were, were examples. So even when we read the Gospels, we see that. We see how Peter, many people say, well, I can relate to Peter. I'm just like Peter. You know, Peter was kind of brash and bold and just kind of, you know, he just jumped out there and did before he really thought. <clears throat> many people can relate to, uh, to, to that kind of person. And so we see that with that, that we're, we're able to connect with them because of the examples of, of their lives. They weren't perfect. They fell short. They didn't always understand. And we say, well, we're in, the, we're in the same boat with them. We don't always understand. We don't always get it. But yet 
Christ faithfully and consistently works with them to help them to understand who he is, and he'll do that for us as well. So look for those examples, and then also look for the connections to to Christ and how we relate to him, and, and just like the disciples did, and, and to how some of the others, how the Gentiles related to him, uh, the outsiders related to him. Uh, we can look at all those things. So that's some of the history, the biblical history. The second thing is, uh, these are not like modern biographies. They're, they're not always trying to put out a chronological uh, uh, events, you know, exactly as they happened, uh, and not even always the exact words that were said. Uh, they are intended to make a point of who Christ is. Now, they're accurate, they're true, they're not contradictory. These things actually did happen, but they're writing these things with a point, and so they weren't as concerned about that that everything happened uh, when they were writing about the events like Matthew's gospel. We just looked at the event of the cursing of the fig tree. In Mark's gospel, uh, Christ curses it on one day, and then the disciples see it the very next morning. In Matthew's gospel, uh, it says immediately happened. That's not contradictory. It's just Matthew's trying to uh, show the the power of, of of Christ, and so he condenses that two days into into to one day. Christ could have spoken the words the day before, and then they came back, and he they're just putting all the events together at the same time. So it's yeah, the, the, he's, they're writing to make a point to help people understand uh, who Christ is. Uh, a recommendation from Trumper Longman is to read uh, the Gospels separately uh, before you read them together so you can get a feel for, for where uh, the author is going and understanding of who uh, he's writing to and, and, and why he's writing. Uh, thirdly, um, or fourthly, uh, read the parables properly. These, these are stories told by Christ. Some are very obvious in what they're saying and what they're speaking. Uh, there's occasions like the uh, parable of the seeds that Christ actually explains the parables, what he means by them, but sometimes he doesn't explain them. So when you're reading a parable, realize that you've got to read and seek to understand what's being taught, uh, who it was being spoken to, when it was being spoken, uh, and that audience. Um, Fifth, uh, look for the connections to the Old Testament. Uh, again, Matthew's Gospel is fairly easy to see that in. The other Gospels, uh, Mark and Luke as well. Uh, but you can see those ties back to the Old Testament uh, in John's Gospel. The first, some of the first words out of John's mouth, uh, John the Baptist's mouth, is, you know, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Well, that's an Old Testament reference to the Passover Lamb. So there's those connections and understanding um, both of um, all the things that are being said there. Uh, and then finally, realize that the Gospels are more than just strictly a historical report of events. They're not written just to say, here's the history, just do something with it, whatever you want with it. Uh, we're going to end today's lessons, today's lesson with words from John's gospel of his intent in writing. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, he says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That is the heart of all of Scripture, but that's especially the heart of the Gospels, is that not everything that Christ did, not everything that Christ said, but these things are written 
so that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son, that he is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, that he is the promised one from the Old Testament, fulfilling the Old Testament, not separating from it, um, but fulfilling that Old Testament uh, in order to give us uh, life in his name, eternal life in his name, when we truly believe and trust in him as our Lord and Savior. Hopefully that's helped you a little bit uh, and will help you a little bit as you read the uh, Gospels. Because uh, again, some people, get it can be confusing. Why for and why aren't they always exactly the same in, in what they're saying? Well, because of uh, who they're writing to, why they're writing, how God inspired them, uh, and the time of their writing. Gospels are great to read. I'm enjoying my study through Matthew's Gospel. And uh, if you want, join me Sunday, and we'll be in Matthew chapter 22 this week. So we're getting closer to the end of that Gospel as we look at Christ's life and what he did. Let's pray, and we'll finish our time together. Father, I come before you right now, and I thank you for your word. I thank you for all of your word. I thank you for these gospels that you've given to us that reveal to us who you are and how you worked, what you said, where you went, and what you did in order to bring us life, eternal life. Not just a good example to follow, but Lord, uh, a life to put our trust and hope in. We can never be exactly like you. We can seek to follow you and emulate you in many ways. But Lord, we are called to put our hope and our trust in your perfect sacrifice of your life. You came and lived the life that we could not live. You died the death that we deserve so that we could have life in you when we trust in you as Lord and Savior. Help the Gospels to give us a a beautiful picture of what you've done for us and help us to read the Gospels in a way that will bring glory and honor to your name so that we can know your word and share your word. It's in Christ's most holy name that we pray. Amen.